Colin, the evolution of the solo percussionist and along with it, the repertoire, the instruments has been extraordinary over the last couple of decades. What do you think in your experience triggered that big change? I mean, when I was growing up, there were solo players like Yamashita and, uh, and then of course Evelyn Glennie came along, but there's really been this huge explosion in, in, in your field. What do you think, why do you think that began to happen? Well, I think the, the time has been right. Um, there have been a number of elements um, at play here and um, important things coming together. So it's a, been a collaborative thing, I think, between players and composers. And they've each helped each other and driven each other onto better things, I think. And um, certainly, I think there have been breakthrough pieces in the repertoire in the mm. past couple of decades, as you say, um, as a time frame, and it's an extremely exciting time for mm. percussion in general. Mm. When did you first begin hitting things? Uh, I mean, <coughs> and, and, and who made the difference to you in those formative years? I mean, who, who inspired you, or what music inspired you at the beginning? I had a very instinctive reaction to um, rhythm in general um, as a young boy, and uh, I started playing the drum kit at a very early age. And I wanted to be a pop musician, and then I was interested in jazz. I played in a couple of big bands growing up at high school, etc. But when I found out about the orchestra, and especially 20th century music, and the power that had been unleashed um, by mm. the key composers from that time, Stravinsky and Bartok, uh, um, and then on to the reactionary composers post-Second World War, Boulez, Stockhausen, these were all very, very um, important people for me and kind of set my imagination racing. Mm. And of course, they all used <laughs> a lot of percussion. Um, and I think I just became very, very interested in new music and I became aware that percussion was having a more important role. And at times, at times, um, as a soloist, and this kind of gave me the idea that this was a role that was ripe for development. interesting word back there about instinctive because it is about that isn't it it's about you know the sensitivity of touch as well as instinctive feeling for how rhythm works and uh, you can't be taught it it's just it's something that's either there or isn't yeah I think um, percussionists are typically creatures who have inquiring minds mm -hmm. and the nature of the instrument as well it is a very hands-on instrument so I think any percussionists first mumblings will be improvisatory uh, because you can get started very quickly and easily on the drums or anyone can be given a hand drum and get a sound out of it for example um, so I think we all have a an improvisatory instinct and also one in which gets us very close to our instruments very quickly because to make the sound of most of these instruments is actually quite straightforward to get going. Maybe that's and, why I dabbled in the past. Yeah oh well good. good <laughs> it was that you know it, it was that immediacy it was that yeah. you know ability to be part of a group of musicians 
very quickly that made me digress away from the piano and violin and the things that I was learning mm-hmm. at the time. I think it's also why percussionists are good um, team players, typically. I mean, I now have got to know various parts and nationalities of the percussion community, and what I tend to notice is always the same, is that it is, it is a, a fraternity, it is a big team, and something that we're all rather proud that now is our time and so many fantastic opportunities. What's the conversation like among the fraternity? I've, <laughs> I'm a bit out of touch with it, but uh, um, what do you tend to talk about when you guys get together? Well... <laughs> <laughs> It's a very loaded question. Yes, there's lots of fun to be had there. For example, um, recently I've been involved in um, the inaugural percussion seminar that's been set up in the States at Chosen Vale, New Hampshire. And uh, I've actually established a a scholarship there in my name because I was very taken with this idea of a percussion community there. And largely this is for youngsters in their 20s. And they are of a spectacular level. Uh, I was very impressed indeed by the standard there. And also the conviviality of them, and they put on this fantastic chamber concert, which I helped to coach and I participated in as well. Mm. And uh, it was just a very, very good spirit, very positive, anything's possible kind of attitude. Mm. And um, I think that's, that's kind of where we're at as, as a group now, as percussionists. In 2005, Colin, you received a Boletti Butoni Award, and um, it's an institution that's truly opened the debate: is talent enough? Mm. Because it, it, you know, it, it seeks out and helps develop musicians who have conspicuous talent. Um, but it's not just a financial reward; it, it comes with a lot of goodwill and mentoring and support. And now, how valuable has it been for you? And can you give us specifics about? how it's worked in your case. Yes, well, I think they have been um, fantastically important for a number of people, myself included. It just helps you to maybe finish certain projects that you started or achieve things that you would like to, but perhaps didn't have the funds for at all. Mm. So their commissioning has been key. I had a a couple of pieces co-commissioned with them. Um, One concerto by Simon Holt, which is a... one of my very finest pieces. Table of Noises. A Table of Noises. Yes. And then um, we also got some more repertoire from my duo with Hawk and Hardenberger, which didn't really have any repertoire, so it was key in launching that as well. And then they gave me all kinds of assistance with publicity, PR things, which I, for some reason, not thought was so important or well, not, that's we, an not area. looked into. Yes, that's an area that musicians often need help with, and it's a very valuable area. I think... Um, Musicians do well to outsource that side of things because my own personal time is not best spent trying to promote myself um, because my time is best spent practicing and doing what I do. And I personally did need help in getting myself together and into the right places and in the right media for allowing my work to be more visible. How much of your time do you spend developing potential commissions or do they tend to come to you now? Well, I would say almost without exception, the pieces that I have premiered have been initially my idea to approach 
these composers. And then, of course, it's been very much their business to write the pieces, so I'm not making any kind of claim on these, on these works. To what extent are the commissions collaborative? Do you like it? Or do you prefer it if they are collaborative? So, in other words, you working with the composer to, to kind of um, develop their ideas for percussion? Because not all composers have a good sense of what percussion can do. Some do, some don't. Yes, well, there's been as many different reactions to the percussion concerto question as there have been composers involved, <laughs> and also as many different uh, needs um, attended to by myself. Some composers want to be left alone, and I, I kind of encourage that and let them do their worst, if you like, and then if necessary, do some editing. Other people need things like rhythmic training and help with counterpoints, and I'm very happy with that too. You mentioned Simon Holt just now and Table of Noises. What I loved about this piece, and it's actually had legs, I mean, you've, you've been performing it quite a lot, and I know you're very fond of it, but um, I love the way it confounded our expectations in so many respects as to what we generally expect a percussion concerto to be. And uh, certainly when I heard it first, that opening, I would never in a million years have heard a duet between a piccolo and a woodblock as being a potential start for something, but it's just a, a great idea to kick the piece off. That's the piece that I joyfully refer to as the, the anti-percussion concerto. And I think it's a piece that um, works beautifully as such, and it's incredibly subtle. And it is as explosive as it is lyrical, um, and it's exuberant as it is shy. And it, it seems to be all things often at once. Above anything else, the music is so strong that it sort of doesn't really require adjectives and an identity and in some ways is over and above all, all such things. Mm. What are the pieces that that you're most proud of having originated Colin and 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 which are the most satisfying to perform? I guess I mean you've mentioned Simon Holt's Table of Noises and eloquently described why that works for you but all percussion pieces work in different ways so which have really tweaked to your imagination and your technique? Well, I think um, the one thing that springs to mind straight away is my relationship with uh, the British composer Dave Marrick, um, who's someone I was in a band with when I was a teenager, the Steve Martland band, a British, oh, yeah. very well-known, and he had this excellent and very <laughs> diversely populated band, which is a collection of very interesting musicians. Dave was the pianist when I joined the band, and um, I was very intrigued by his talents. And then I found out that he was writing some music sometime later. Um, and then in, in 2000, I commissioned him to write a piece uh, for myself. And this was, as it turned out, the first of more than 150 performances later. First of about 10 or so premieres that I've given of his. And he really has got to know my playing and pushed my technical resources in a certain direction. And it's been a marvellous experience. To well, he's, he's also the collaborator on your new album, Borrowed Time, isn't he? Yes. 
And that album is, is still my calling card. If I have a musical calling card, it would have to be that album. With Dave, the beautiful thing has been to see his music in a number of different forums. So he's written pieces for me as a duo partner to um, trumpet, organ, piano, double percussion piece, chamber music, so work with um, solo percussion with string quartet. And then finally, the dream happened this summer when he wrote me a chamber concerto, which I premiered with the Lapland Chamber Orchestra, uh, which is a lineup of strings and wind quintet. Yeah, he just keeps developing and keeps changing his approach to percussion, and it's something that feels very, very under my skin now. Among the, the bigger scale orchestral pieces that obviously, um, you know, one thinks of the Jennifer Higdon Concerto or the, um, the Ahu Concerto. Do these get performed a lot for you? Yes, they do. I was compiling some figures recently for something and I worked out that since the premiere of the Higdon Concerto in December 2005, I've played that work on average once a month for every month since the premiere. That's amazing. Um, for a contemporary piece or yes. you know, a new piece that's amazing so it's extraordinary of course some performances are very bunched together so I might have a run of six or seven but uh, that's the, <laughs> the average Percussion is very, very sexy for, for the public and for young audiences particularly gravitate towards it. It's that immediacy, I think. The logistical practicalities of being a percussionist, like getting the kit around, how do you solve that? Do you do it all yourself? Do you have a roadie? How does it work? Um, and even the logistics of practicing at home and having a soundproof room, how does all that work for you? Yes, well, <laughs> we try to make it as easy as possible for everyone involved and although on one occasion for a concert in would you believe of all places Beirut oh. um, where I did take all my equipment uh, for a recital in flight cases um, and that situation was just so stressful and difficult and expensive and just terrible so apart from that one situation which basically made me realize well okay we're not doing that again what I do is I rent large equipment wherever it is like I'm playing okay and this is another part of the development, because 20 years ago, when I started playing concertos professionally, this was quite difficult to do. But now, there's so much percussion in North America, especially, for example, every town has a choice of five octave marimbas. Um, it's rather easy to do, so I just bring along my own cymbals and sticks and blocks and a few bits and pieces. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you know, you get used to your own kit, don't you? And, and um, pianists are very fussy about what instruments they play on. Um, I imagine that would have been the same with you, but obviously not. You have to make some concessions there. Well, it's a, it's a little easier. For example, the drums, I just tune up in my own way and okay. can get them sounding basically how I want. 
and marimba's very very little um, and i work very closely with this fantastic company marimba one um, who make my marimba but also make sure that i get a marimba one model wherever i go in the world it's interesting and it's a very important part of what i do but um i just turn up at the the airport with a couple of suitcases normally they go in the hold and uh, I go on the plane and fall asleep. <laughs> and, and what about the neighbours falling asleep at home? I mean, do they, do, have, you, have you got good soundproofing in your studio? Well, I have very kind neighbours. Um, I'm at the end of Terrace, and I'm in, uh, most of my practice is, is upstairs in the attic room. Okay. So I generally don't disturb my neighbours. I keep my practice hours sociable. And I was very happy to have my next-door neighbours come to the premiere of the Kalevi Aho Concerto. And they got a chance to hear me give a concert rather than practice bar 273, 100 times in the space of And, and what did they hours. make of it? Yeah, they had, of course, all they'd heard is me, as I say, looping things at, at half speed. And my practice probably sounds just deathly. Um, it's a very mechanical process, not very musical at all. And no context, of course. So I think they uh, were very taken, you know, to hear something that was kind of recognisable but all of a sudden with a, a wonderful symphony orchestra behind it and the context of a, a large-scale symphonic work. They loved it, yeah, and they're, they're good friends, and we go to the pub and uh, good people. <laughs> Excellent. thing about percussion I suppose is is this evolving repertoire as we've said but um, the, the point really that there are no limits actually there are endless possibilities do you find that continually exciting or does it freak you out sometimes no it's it's marvelous and I look at the stylistic variation in my repertoire um, as something that I'm very fond of and sometimes even quite amused by last year saw premieres by two New York composers, Elliot Carter and Julia Wolf. Couldn't get two more different writers. And, Elliot um, Carter at the age of... When I'm, was he when, he when he wrote it? Um, he was 102. Good Lord. Um, and was able to attend the premiere age 103. He's only just died. Of, of course. course, may he now rest very much in peace and uh, be astonished as anyone, I'm sure more than anyone, as to his spectacular life and what he achieved mm. um, in the closing years of his life, particularly, if you like, lucid and sharp as attack, was a marvellous thing. But then, you know, a few weeks later, I had the Julia Wolfe premiere and two very different approaches to writing a percussion concerto, <laughs> could there not be? I kind of relish in these differences. What do you listen to, Colin, when you're not playing? I mean, you know, what kind of music really rocks your boat? The classics, I'm very much into classical music. And I'm still making discoveries in those eras. I grew up with Stockhausen and then got to know Brahms much later. So I'm the other way around for a lot of musicians, if you like. My favourite composer of all time remains, and will remain, I'm sure, Stravinsky. Um, so I listen to a lot of his pieces. Of course, there's many different Stravinskys. And I love Bartok very dearly. He's perhaps the biggest hearted 20th century composer for me. I find his music very moving, very arresting, and 
fascinating. Interesting, you know, Stravinsky and Bartok, obviously, that, you know, as a percussionist, you would sort of understand why you chose them, um, because, you know, both had a feel for those instruments. But um, um, I'm interested that you're interested in the classical repertoire as well, sort of the Beethovens and Mozart. Yeah, well, very much. But for me, in fact, despite or, yeah, it's perhaps a reaction against being a percussionist, the most interesting thing for me in music is harmony. So this also influences above everything my, my taste in music. Yeah, well, I think there's a paradox in there that most people, when you talk about percussion, think about primary rhythm and they think about drums and they think about metallic instruments to, to a degree, but they think mainly about drums and rhythm. So that, I think, is, is interesting. And it brings us back, I suppose, to what I said about sensitivity and, and touch and all those things that are so important to a great percussion player, which um, the public don't know the half of it, really, do they? Well, in a way, you would hope not, because I think a good percussion performance means the listeners will forget about what is happening technically, but which is often fairly remarkable when a, a good percussion performance is going off. But I, I'm hoping that people actually stop thinking about that and are just in a place where one sound flows into the next and the performance has absolute musical integrity and credibility. Thank you.